I'm, um, I'm tasked with guiding us in a meditation now, doing what we did in the last couple of days, which is introducing some the, the meditative space laboratory um, as a way of bringing, bringing this down into uh, our experiential realm. I've been meditating <laughs> as Ying spoke and so sweet. I was like, how, why, what other guided meditation is useful here? You know, that was, that was just wonderful. But yeah, let me just guide whatever, this is what's, this is what's coming up for me right now. And um, we can bring our eyes down. We have only uh, about 12 minutes. So we're going to just kind of gather together whatever um, collectedness of mind we can bring, bringing our eyes down, bringing our gaze inward, downward, maybe checking our posture and establishing that balance between presence and engagement with experience and and ease. Taking the classic anthropologist's stance of participant observer in our experience. And bringing our attention to the breath with maybe three or so deeper breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth, noticing some of that energy that comes in with the additional oxygen, not making up anything or adding anything, just noticing that this is part of the breathing, the oxygen hitting the bloodstream and the lungs. And just the letting go that is part of the out-breath. This helps us also establish this balance between resourcefulness, resilience, um, and ease. In the sutta, it's a long journey, many crossings of floods of views, of arisings of self, maybe facing this particular crossing, this one here right now, this with this breath, with this arising of experience, maybe we feel overwhelmed and maybe we feel some exhilaration, like we're ready or eager for this, this crossing. We look around us, we look for the materials at hand, we pick up the grass, the promising reeds and branches that lie at our feet to construct the, 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 the raft that, is, that helps us meet this moment, that supports us in this, this arising, this landing of views, of selfing, of suffering, of stress. Maybe among these reeds and twigs and branches, we find some confidence in in the Buddha's teachings. Maybe we find some, uh, some energy. Maybe we find some energetic engagement with our experience as it arises. Maybe we touch in with a little bit of the tranquility that can be there in our meditative experience from time to time. And thus supported in the teachings we set out. 
the teachings support us, they buoy us up among our views, among the arisings of selfing and suffering. But we make effort with our hands and our feet in the sutta, in the simile. Our hands and feet are free of grasping as we, supported by the Dhamma, supported by the twigs and branches that were available to us. A little bit of energetic paddling here, some opening of the heart there. We find ourselves able to to cross over, to move from one moment to the next, letting experience arise, letting it flow away. Possibly stirring or disturbing our raft finding that we need to balance the effort with the hands and feet. Sometimes a little more effort is useful, skillful. In the meditation, we find ourselves pulled away. The attention strays off, leaps off, gets snagged or caught up. All of a sudden, we have this awakening experience of noticing that we've moved a little bit away from the breath, from the center of our experience, from the core of our our experience of the world of experience. And we bring our attention back to, back to here and now, back to the raft that supports us. We don't, we don't have to cling to the raft. We don't have to hold on tight. We need our hands free and our feet free to just drop in the little bit of effort that we need to keep us here and now. Noticing what's happening, opening our heart to what's happening. Just enough attention, just enough effort to keep our progress moving toward that other shore where there's a little bit more freedom available.
So maybe we're able to cross over this flood of views, this arising of attachments and clingings and selfings. It can be turbulent. It can be smooth. It can be mixed. Supported by a raft of our own construction. With the effort needed. Sufficient effort, wise effort. Right effort, appropriate effort. And we find ourselves a little lighter, a little more open, a little bit more heartful. And we can look back down at the raft and notice what its components are. Notice again that confidence. Notice the intention of energetic engagement in an easeful way with experience as it arises. Opening up and showing up for our experience as it is. And we can let this raft back down. Maybe as we, as we set it down carefully, as a period of meditation ends and we check in to just notice how this meditation is, maybe we see that its component parts move back apart, float off downstream, And we can carry on with the confidence that each time a raft is needed, each time a vehicle is needed, we have the resources at hand within us in these teachings, in this practice. To provide our own support. To understand what sort of wise effort is useful and skillful. and keep keep our journey underway. Thank you, David. It's very nice. Yeah, so now um, I'd like an opportunity for you guys to discuss this uh, amongst yourselves. This um, idea of making and building your raft. And earlier, Ying talked about the, how clinging to views is, leads to suffering isn't what the Buddha is talking about. And David was highlighting that we um, pick up the different pieces of our experience and create a raft. So 
what, uh, what a question we'd like you to explore is the relationship between clinging and views. What is this way in which uh, views get supported by clinging? Or what is the way in which clinging gets supported by views? And this idea that we don't want to let go of components of the raft too early. So are there some way in which we might hold views that can be supportive, but aren't clinging, aren't suffering, but are a way in which might be a part of our practice? Because of course we have to have some views. It's, we're not going to be completely without views. So to explore this relationship between clinging and views and how they might be a, and how that exploration, or maybe even knowing that relationship might be a part of the raft that helps us with our experiences. Okay, so, well, let's see. So before we go, I'll say, um, sometimes it's helpful just to say one point, a single point, not everything you know, Right, we could get into discussions. All of us could for times about this. Just for a single point, and then it goes to the next person. One point goes to the next person. One point, and then it goes to the next person. One point, and then you go back around. So then you have an opportunity. Now, having heard some ideas, maybe it sparks something new in you. So the purpose here is not for you to show everybody else everything that you know about views. The purpose is more for you to have the experience of hearing alternative views and seeing how that lands with you and what you do with them and stuff like this. So you'll be doing definitely more listening than speaking. And just to make it easiest, um, let's go in the order of um, the day of the month you were born. If you were born on the first of the month, you go first. If you're born on the 30th of the month, uh, you'd go last. Just to make it easier, which orders. So you don't have to spend all your time negotiating. Okay. So with that, uh, I think we'll go into our rooms now. So welcome everybody, uh, welcome back. And so um, now we'd like to hear from you, you know, some deep breath from you and questions. I do remember Kevin had a question uh, hand up before. And so we have a little time for us to and just open it up, open it up for everybody. Just remind you, you can use your uh, Zoom hand uh, or maybe physical hand if uh, it looks like it may be manageable to do that. Okay, I see. Uh, uh, Lazana, again, go ahead, unmute. Uh, I, I just want to say thank you to everyone for being here. This is so great to just have people to sit with and wonder about these things with people who care so much and have thought so deeply about it and take the time to actually authentically show up with their responses is so appreciated. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, the deep gratitude for all the teachers as well. I think four of us got together and have the same sentiment. <laughs> um, uh, Kathleen. 
have to unmute. Thank, thank you. Uh, and following up on what Lasana just said, I'm noticing that this is part of the raft. And then I notice myself clinging to, oh, no, this is the last one. Um, and I don't want this raft to. Uh, so it, anyway, I, I am new in this community. And this is just amazing to have this. So I just wanted to put that out there. And I will miss this being here. Yeah, thank you, Kesteling. Yeah. And this is not the last one you find out. And <laughs> <laughs> Kevin. Thank you. Um, well, echoing the sentiments of others. Um, yes, I have a lot of clinging to this teaching team and this experience, this wonderful Sangha. It's, it's just such a privilege to be part of this. I did want to go, um, if it's fruitful, back to something that Kim was talking about early on, one of the last things. And if, if it's fruitful for the teaching team to respond, that's great. If not, um, I won't be offended. But she was talking about um, uh, this the famous teaching about noble friends being the whole of the path. And at the same time, uh, the Buddha being kind of the ultimate noble friend. And I was thinking about that in terms of how we use the word sangha, you know, and in, in just to refer to fellow practitioners versus what I understand to be the more kind of strict way that the term or maybe exclusive term in terms of taking refuge um, that um, it seems that we take refuge in the monastic sangha or in people that have achieved at least stream entry, one level of awakening in as much as, um, uh, just a group of lay practitioners would not necessarily be a reliable source of refuge. And so I wondered if anyone on the teaching team uh, would find that something fruitful to uh, address. Mm. It's a great question, Kevin. And, and you really highlighted some of the nuances of the term and Sangha and how this term have been used in our uh, modern dharma scene and maybe I'll kind of invite my co-teachers to chime in a little bit uh, in terms of maybe some technicalities of this term and I do wanted to recognize that it is true that the use of this word has becoming uh, quite wide range in uh, in the, the dharma scene um, but in the um, ancient times, and this word is used maybe um, uh, more specifically. And so I want to invite my co-teachers and any of you would like to chime in. Kim, can you see that I'm looking at you? <laughs> I can see I'm looking at Diana. <laughs> I think what Ying said is fantastic. And um, uh, just to note that there are so many different, um, uh, there's a wide range on this word. And, you know, in the end, the um, reliability of what we hear has to do with the other person and with us. Um, and there can be moments when 
you know, a child teaches us something. <laughs> so there's, but if we're open to the Dharma that's coming through at that moment, we can receive from many different places. Um, so I think this is another area where we don't want to have a fixed view. And I would also uh, add maybe just that uh, the fact that these terms have evolved uh, in our own kind of way of using it, uh, maybe put a little more emphasis on um, us putting the practice in to cultivate um, discernment, wisdom in ourselves, uh, because uh, keeping this um, teachings open but it's us who really get deep in touch with this. And, um, and so in some ways, it's probably calling for um, a stronger commitment in our practice. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Yeah, thank you for that. And, and I guess I would just add this, which is to sort of move away from the terms we use but just to recognize as others have just done, acknowledge and celebrate this community of practice, this one right here, and also the IMC community of practice of which you know we, many of us, all of us by being here actually, all of you too are now part. Um, you know, a couple of people have said that this is their first time as a way in. I just wanna say welcome and this is how we roll or whatever the young people say, but you know, this is how this community works. We make it. And in it, in, in doing so, there is, this is making a raft, right? To keep using that metaphor. This is part of, part of, um, part of a deep part of this practice, so. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Any other comments and questions? We may have time just for one more. I see a hand, and Nicholas. Can you hear me? Yes. Fantastic. Uh, actually, on this exact note, I just wanted to share an aspiration that came up for me the first time I read the sutta, which is like really reflecting on my intentions when I speak uh, to a group or even just, you know, within a small group in an event like this with INC or any other kind of community. And I think really like keying into, am I speaking sort of with the goal of building up a self or pointing attention towards something that I'm constructing or really kind of globbing on that attention and feeding pride? Or am I speaking out of an intention to really point towards my understanding of the Dhamma in this moment and with the intention of really being of benefit to myself and to others? And I think this aspiration really it helps me feel like the attainments or this or whatever, what, you know, whatever these things are that could frame my, you know, quote unquote value in speaking to the group sort of becomes a little less material when I feel like I've taken a moment to reflect on where, on really where these intentions lie um, and touching into that. Beautiful, Nicholas. You can see we're all bowing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you get to see this. And yeah, no more patchwork on uh, what you said. <laughs> so, it's great. 
Thank you. Thank you all. And I'm going to pass the baton to uh, Q.